This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. Mark this prediction. The inaugural CU2 VIP live event will become a Woodstock-like meeting. In what sense? In this sense. Yeah, hundreds of thousands went to Woodstock, but if you ask for a show of hands today of those who were there, be ready to count well into the millions. Memories play tricks on us. There are places we wish we wish we were. And yep, there are going to be people who wish they were at this event. Five years from now, I'm predicting that many will say, yeah, I was there. I was at that first CU2 VIP live event. Well, we were actually there. And what you'll be hearing this week on the podcast are snippets of short talks with participants who also were there in the flesh. The first episode, Martin Walker with Next Level Ventures, with its $250 million plus venture fund for investments in fintech-oriented QZOs that will bring next gens tech to the credit union industry. Here's the big idea to stay competitive with mega banks and fintechs. Credit unions have to up their technology game. Next Level Ventures is in the business of upping a technology game. The real good idea here is that by investing in early stage fintechs, credit unions can get a sizable jump on the market. Just maybe we'll gain competitive advantages. Sounds good? You bet. Keep listening. You'll hear why Walker attended CU2 VIP Live and what he got out of it. Keep listening to the other episodes in this series. I believe there'll be four in total. And you'll get a sense of what happened there, even if you weren't there. Listen up. Okay, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Martin Walker, Vice President with Next Level Ventures, and we are the fund manager for the Circle Fund. And what's the Circle Fund? Circle Fund is a strategic investment fund that was created through a collaboration of credit unions. We've got $252 million under management uh, with 69 limited partners. And what are you investing in? We are investing in fintech companies that exist to enable credit unions to be more competitive against banks, neobanks, and other disruptors out there. And how do QZOs fit into this? Well, they fit in a couple ways. So the, the, the most direct way is uh, since we have credit union money under management, we can only invest in QSOs. Um, so for us, when we invest in a, a fintech that's a non-QSO, typically what they'll do is they'll set up a QSO subsidiary and we'll invest in the subsidiary with warrants back up to the parent company. How, how hard is it to set up a QSO subsidiary? Um, it's it's really not that difficult. Um, we engage Brian Lauer frequently, and he helps our fintechs essentially get those subsidiaries set up. Um, he's got a pretty standardized process for doing that now, so there's there's some legal work and some legal cost involved, but um, it only adds about two weeks to our process. Now, $250 million, is that enough money to play in this game? It is. It is. Um, we're we're writing about three to ten million dollar checks, so we're we're not going to be in the very late stages, right before an IPO, where they're they're huge rounds and the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but we're just at that that sweet spot where a company has started to generate revenue and they're looking to essentially go into that growth mode. Um, and in that that space, um, we're a pretty nice size fund to 
possibly lead some smaller rounds or follow some bigger players in you know Series A and maybe a few Series B. So, is the exit strategy for the companies you're investing in to go public? And I ask because 20 years ago I used to write for a magazine called Upside, and the every company would cover the exit strategy was to go public. That was 20 years ago. It's the market's not doesn't have the same appetite for for these things today, unless you, unless you're a unicorn. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely a billion dollar company. The market's all over you, but <laughs> yeah, I'd say for our portfolio, we've we've made eleven investments so far, and the more the majority of those likely the exit will not be to go IPO, um, but there may be some consolidation. Some of those companies may. Uh, acquire each other or ultimately be acquired as an interesting piece to maybe a, a bigger puzzle or a bigger solution. I mean, I've talked to at least two guys who are founders of uh, mobile banking apps companies, and both of them sold out. And in both cases, they told me um, our investors got antsy and wanted out. They were successful companies, but they wanted, the investors wanted their cash back. Yeah, and... And that could happen. One, one thing that's interesting about managing credit union money is our, our credit unions tend to be in it for the long haul. You know, they're less focused on you know, what the exit looks like and what the payday might be. They're much more interested in having a seat at the table to influence these companies in terms of their product roadmap, um, you know, helping them solve problems that credit unions face today or might face in the future. So we might have a little bit more tolerance for a, a, a longer exit strategy than maybe a traditional VC, but we're in rounds with others. And so ultimately we will be, you know, the exit will happen when it happens. You know, we don't have a, we don't have a kind of a say in that unless we've got a pretty strong position in the company. I mean, the, as I recall, the Sandhill Road investors, always wanted their cash back and they always wanted it in IPL basically. Yeah. So, but they were investing in things that they thought had good potential to do an IPL and I'm sure that's still their strategy. Yeah, I would think so. Um, we have a few portfolio companies that, that could be candidates for IPO um, and then some other ones that are more specialized that I think are, are likely to become part of something bigger. It's interesting that the, the, the credit unions want to play an active role and, and the companies that they invest in. Because I, I could see some of these tech guys saying, what the hell? Get <laughs> away. Yeah, and, and the way we approach it is we want to give them as much help as, as they want to receive. So right now for these earlier companies, mostly what they're looking for are the the entry into the credit union space, the introductions. They've maybe got a very small foothold with a handful of credit unions. They're trying to expand beyond that. And hoping that we've got the ability through the credit unions in our fund to make those introductions and bring those additional credit unions to the table. What do you think about the requirement that the investors actually use the product? You know, that came up in discussions today. And I thought that was intriguing that, okay, you want to invest in me? I'm a buy now, pay later company. Great offer. I can certainly appreciate the the thought process behind it, and you know, previously when I was at a credit union, a big part of the reason we made investments in a, in a few fintech QSOs was with the intent to use the products. Um, in our situation, it's a little bit trickier. As an example, we might invest in uh, a specific payments company. Some of our credit unions may already be 
contracted through a different payments company. So, so for us, it's difficult to come into 64 credit unions and say, you all have to use this product if we, if we invest. Um, the landscape's a little bit too complicated for us to, to put that requirement out there. Um, but we certainly encourage them to, to look at the products, look at the solutions, and, and consider adding them to their mix. Well, arguably, too, if the credit union uses the product that increases the value of the thing they invested in. It makes a lot of sense logically. You know, if, you, if you're using that product, you're helping the company be more successful. Um, our credit unions are pretty influential in the space, so now other credit unions are going to take a look and say, oh, well, you know, if, if that credit union is using this, then maybe I should be taking a closer look at it. So they do have an influence on the market, and you know, they can, in effect, influence the value of their investment. Now what's the smallest credit union that's... You don't need to give me the name. If you want to, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine, too. The smallest credit union that's an investor in this, how big is it? Um, our smallest, we've got just a couple that are under a billion, probably around the 800, 900 that's million range. That's still a big credit union. Fairly, um, fairly sizable. What's in the your biggest credit union? Uh, biggest credit union, um, we've got schools first. Yeah. All right. That's one so, of the top five. Sizable, so, yeah. Um, we've got a handful over $10 billion. And then I would say the vast majority are between two and eight billion in assets. All right, so they do have some money to throw around at this. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, they don't have to have a little collection box in the coffee room. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we've got some credit unions in the fund that are making investments alongside the Circle Fund in in the same companies because they want to put even more into those companies. Vistar would be an example of that. We we have a Circle Fund investment in Nimbus. And they've also invested in Nimbus outside of the fund. Now, why does a, why can a credit union only invest in QZO? It's an NCUA regulation. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I think it has to do with the you know the the tax free status of the of the funds and how those funds are being used. There's a there's a campaign right now with the NCUA to change that regulation so that. Credit unions have an opportunity to invest in non-QSOs, essentially to remain relevant with all this technological innovation so that they don't fall behind because of this potential barrier to being able to move forward. And wouldn't that drive the uh, community bankers nuts if NCO had changed that regulation? Which is all right by me. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think some of those organizations are definitely uh, on the short list of those that would be opposed to it, for sure. Um, you know, the way we look at it is community banks and credit unions both are, are fighting the same battle to, to stay relevant as there's a fintech onslaught. There's a lot of consolidation in both spaces right now. Uh, you know, the bigger getting bigger and the specialized smaller players are struggling to keep up. And when that happens, I think that overall credit union members lose because they lose choice, they lose options, and they lose, you know, a, a set of institutions that are are in in it for the members that are member owned. So we don't want to see that fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Well, the way I've analyzed that market, I might be wrong. Is I see community banks in much weaker shape right now than, than credit unions for a variety of reasons. And I see the real threats on the scene as the, the mega banks, the five or ten 
and the fintechs. I work credit union, I paid very little attention to a community bank unless it's exceptionally strong in my community. I agree with that. The challenge that the community banks have is they they don't bring that same collaborative nature that that credit unions have. So when you're a small community bank, you're a very small player. When you're a small credit union, you can join together with other credit unions and have an outsized influence in the market and at least have a chance at competing. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. The fintechs, the the neo banks, those that do or don't have a bank charter, you know, a lot of them are just an experience sitting in front of uh, you know a sponsor bank's account structure. Um, but they're they're acquiring a lot of members, they're acquiring deposits, and a lot of fintechs are are originating a lot of loans right now. And so I think credit unions have to be very aware with what's happening in that space. Yeah, it drives me nuts when credit union people say no, no people. Will only want to put their money in a federally insured institution. They don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, my, my daughter's 26. She has money in a Venmo account. Um, I think she's got some money with Robinhood. I mean, she's got money in a lot of places that are, that are not insured. I'm much older than your daughter. I have money in PayPal. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's, it's just sitting there, but it's, it, it'll move out and doesn't sit there permanently. But. Yeah, and some of the new spaces for, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about crypto, and I know that probably even 6 to 12 months ago, most credit unions were not thinking about that or were very concerned about it and, you know, risk, not being regulated. The reality is there are a lot of deposits leaving credit unions right now going into places where they can invest in crypto and hold positions and so I think credit unions are going to have to find a way, and a few of the most innovative ones have started to find a way to at least you know, give their members an easier way to move their money back and forth between. Well, NCUA issued guidance belatedly, but in December, yeah. that meant at least some credit unions see us giving them a highway to get, or maybe a slow road to get involved in crypto. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's here to stay. So, you know, you have to acknowledge that that is a way that a lot of people want to deploy their assets. And if you're not, you know, able to make that easy, someone else is, they, right. they've already done now, that. Now, one thing about fintechs, tell me if you agree with it. 20 years ago, if I'd said to pretty much any fintech startup, hey, are you interested in the credit union market as, as customers? They would have said, what? No. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that would have been the end of the conversation. I could have tried as hard as I wanted. Maybe I could have gotten them to talk to Navy Federal. Maybe. Right. And that would be about it. Something big has changed, and I think what's changed, and tell me if you agree, that the going public strategy is probably not going to work for that fintech. The big banks already have their own tools, and they're working with their own vendors. Are they, are they opposed to a new one? No. But it's very hard to sell Chase. Whereas you look out, there's 5,000 credit unions and roughly 5,000 community banks. That's a lot of potential customers. Yeah. And that, that to me, is why they're now, there's, there's like a stampede to get credit union business. There's a market there. I think, you know, some fintechs, the ones that want to work with credit unions, see two things. They see that there is a market opportunity. And I think that they have alignment from you know a mission standpoint you know we've got fintechs out there that really do want to help people with 
you know, whether it's the middle class or, you know, underbanked, unbanked, um, marginalized communities, there are fintechs that are specializing in all of these different areas to try to try to help make people's lives better. It aligns perfectly with credit union missions. So for those types of fintechs, this is a really big opportunity for them to play in the space where they want to be. Um, and the other thing is, um, even though some of those legacy players are, are maybe, you know, being kind of under attack by fintechs, uh, they're the ones that have a lot of credit unions in their stables are great partners for, for fintechs to get access to the market quickly. So if you're, if you're a fintech and you're not a core, you may want to partner with you know, the big three or four cores because you could get access to a lot of credit unions right away. Um, not as hard to sell as Chase, but, but not an easy road. So you know, you've got to have, have enough time and backing and intestinal fortitude to go down that path. But it, it can pay off. Now, why did you decide to participate in this CU 2.0 VIP meeting? With my, with my role with the Circle Fund, we also have the Circle Collective. And the, kind of the reason Circle was even put into existence was to bring fintechs and credit unions together and, and really to try to spur innovation. Um, that's kind of where I live. I'm... I always live right at the intersection between the business and the technology and I'm trying to move forward and, and do the interesting things, solve things better, sooner. And we're looking for those those credit unions and those fintechs that want to be closer to that edge, making those things happen. And I think this is the event where those people come together. Um, so I'm just happy to be here and be a part of it. Uh, are you invested in any of the fintechs that are here? Not any that are in attendance. Um but uh, we're in conversations with several. So you're in conversations with several of the fintechs that are here? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Any of the credit unions that are here and they're here, are, are they investors? None of our LPs are here. I know one or two of them were planning on coming and then we're not able to make it at the last minute. So, so as of right now, I'm seeing uh, quite a few new faces, which is great. That's great. So you're getting value for yourself out of this as a good use of your time. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the first dinner last night um, had multiple conversations with people that um, I've had some interaction with, but just learned a lot more about them and you know what they're trying to accomplish. And you know, it really helped me get a, an opportunity to build that relationship and, and get a better understanding of how we might work together. And so, I'd say right out the gate it was already a success and it's going to be better this evening and even better tomorrow. I've been to a lot of credit union conferences over the years and there's more human interaction built into this one than anyone I can remember going to. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was I was talking to someone about that you know, when we go to the, the really big events like a Money 2020. Um, I go to those events and schedule non-stop half-hour meetings with 30 or 40 fintechs and try to meet as many people as I can. And then maybe I get to know a small handful of those a little bit better over a couple more Zoom calls. But to be able to spend two and a half days with a handful of people, whether or not we end up working together, uh, you know, these are people that are going to be connections for me, you know, for, for the rest of my life. And that's, that's a really exciting thing. You just, you, you get to, you know, get to meet people, get to know people, um, in a much more significant way than when you're at a massive conference and it's like, hey, great, thanks for telling me about your idea. Your 30 minutes is up and i got to go meet the next person.
Yeah, now will you circle fund? Will you invest in? I assume you will. You know, you go back to the old glory days of Sandhill Road twenty years ago. They mainly only invested in companies that they could walk to. So it was right in. Sure. It's you know, if you couldn't walk to it, you had to get on a plane. No, it's too much trouble. Will you invest in, in things fintechs that are anywhere in the country? Yes, no, no question. And, and we're even in conversations with with companies that are based outside of the U.S. Um, you know, if they establish a, a U.S. entity entity in a U.S. queue, so we can still make an investment. So mostly U.S. based, but we're we're looking at a few others as well. It, it's funny you mention that too, because when we were when we were raising for the fund itself, and Craig Gibson, our managing partner, did a lot of that work. You know, his comment was before he would have to do exactly what he said. He'd have to get on a plane, go to all the different credit union offices, meet with the CEOs and the other key key leaders, and it it would take a very long time. You know, he might have a few meetings a week, whereas maybe in a strange way, thanks to the pandemic, everything was done over Zoom. You could have three meetings with three different credit unions in a single day, and so very quickly we got past our, our cap of 150 million. You know, had to had to extend that and and kind of blew that out of the water. Cool. Couldn't have done that if it was the traditional way. We just we would have ran out of time. You couldn't have met with enough credit unions in that period of time to 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 get to those numbers. And the same thing's happening with our investments. You know, we're, we've we've made investments in companies that then finally a few months later we get to shake hands and meet in person for the very first time. The CU 2.0 podcast.